I'm Luka Doncic and this is Lockdown Mavericks Podcast. I knew the ball was going to. Ah! Oh my God! No, that's nasty. Dude. You got bammed. That's gross. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, and joining me, multiple time guest. He's the host of maybe your least favorite Locked On show if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan. <laughs> host of Locked On Heat. What you got for me, David Ramel? <laughs> Hanging in there. I didn't realize I was w- walking into a death trap here, but yeah, I guess it's uh, every time you talk to Mavs fans, it feels like uh, that's appropriate. I know. Well, it goes it comes with the territory, right? I mean, Absolutely. I'm sure it's the same way on your side. Absolutely. No Absolutely. So that's just where we are. Um, all right. On today's show, we are going to talk to David Ramil about Josh Richardson played for the Miami Heat, his best basketball played for the Miami Heat. I think hopefully the Mavericks are getting more of a Miami Josh Richardson than a Philadelphia Josh Richardson. We'll talk about the difference between what that means. Then I also want to talk to him about James Johnson. He was there in Miami for a while before he went off to Minnesota and maybe got washed. So we'll talk about that. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. We'll talk about that with David. He's covered the the Heat for a long time. He hosts the Locked On Heat podcast every single day uh, and all that kind of stuff. So no better guess, I think, to talk about these guys and these new additions for the Mavericks. So let's start with it, David. Josh Richardson, his journey you know, in Miami, he was the second round pick. He was the 40th overall pick, you know, a couple of years ago. What were you, what were the, what were Heat fans getting when they first saw Josh Richardson? They weren't quite sure, uh, honestly, because he was a second round pick. And the, the obvious focus for Miami Heat fans was in the draft lottery because we were selecting Justice Winslow. So Justice was the main focus. Everybody was thinking, oh my God, you get Winslow, he slips in the draft, you get him 10th and you're thinking this is a steal. And then you get a guy like Richardson and second round picks have normally not been a a big priority for Miami as a front office. They just don't seem to keep him for very long. And then I remember immediately thinking, this is a little weird. They started selling Richardson jerseys like immediately after the selection. And so I was thinking already, huh, Huh, maybe this guy's going to stick around. And then sure enough, they raved about his defense, his on-ball abilities to distribute the pass and, and, and shoot from the perimeter. And of course, the defense was the, the calling card, I think, in, in, during his mainstay in, in Tennessee. And so obviously they really liked him. They thought he could stick around. And then he spends most of that rookie season in the G League, and he doesn't really make an impact on the roster. But then slowly but surely, he starts working his way in there. Eric Spolstra really takes a hands-on approach, for, which, again, is a typical for a second-round pick and a guy you're not exactly sure what you're getting out of him, but he really was able to get the most out of him. And there's a, a famous story now where Spolstra puts Richardson through a, an incredible shooting drill where he has to hit, I think, 90 out of 100 three-point attempts. Dang. And he doesn't, and he can't. He keeps falling short. He hits like sixty the first time he does it, and he doesn't leave the floor until he does and hits ninety. Like it takes four consecutive times trying to hit him. So he's so he's after four hundred shots at this point. He finally gets it, and that's when Spolster realizes this guy has what it takes to be a part of this Heat team, and he winds up making a huge impact late in his season as a rookie. Remind us what that Heat team looked like too back then. Oh uh, well, this is was- like Whiteside and Waiters, right? <laughs> Well, no, no, that was before that. It was actually uh, 2015, 2016, and you've got 
Dwayne Wade, still very good at that point in time. That was the the purple shirt guy. I'm not sure if you remember him from his uh, his battles against the Charlotte Hornets that same year. That was 2015-16. So you've got Hassan Whiteside, but you've also got Chris Bosh for half a season. Mm. You've got Goran Dragic uh, in his second season with Miami, too. And uh, you've got a couple other players. So that was before Deion Waiters and James Johnson joined the team in 2016. Because then Dwayne leaves in 2016, and you're kind of rebuilding and having to find a new identity, which is the next phase of Josh's career. Yeah, so Josh Richardson goes from this, you know, bench player, like you said, he goes through this transformation in Miami, which seems to be, you know, this awesome transformation for him. He becomes, you know, like a really key role player and. I mean, at least now we know for sure he's he's better than Justice Winslow. Like that's pretty that's a pretty wild, you know, development there. Uh, how did he go from bench player to like full time starter in 2018? Well, jo- uh, Justice wound up getting hurt, and then he wound up struggling. And again, he was never able to convert his perimeter shot, or slowly started becoming more and more respectable, but on, on fewer attempts. Meantime. Josh wound up being a very solid, capable defender, a guy who can, again, make plays at all three levels. He's got a mid-range game. He can get to the rim. He's a little underweight, but at the same time, he still has enough athletic ability where he can finish at the rim pretty well. And he just continued to do the work. And and I I wrote a a piece about him a couple of years ago when he was supposed to be that superstar, or not necessarily a superstar, but he was supposed to be the leader of this franchise while you're still trying to find an identity. Mm. And he just never quite got to that point but he had always been able to do the work from his days in Tennessee, even back when he was in Edmond, Oklahoma, growing up. And just uh, it, it was just a really great progress for him throughout his whole career. And then to get to the Heat, it seemed like the perfect franchise for him. He bought into the culture. He did all the work that was necessary. And he just proved that he could be a guy that you can kind of build around. But it just it was too much, I think. The expectations for him were somewhat unfair. Uh, they were, of course, again, dealing with you know Dwayne Wade, the loss of Dwayne Wade, because he left in 2016. And then you're kind of retooling, refiguring out an identity. You've got Hassan White, so you've got Waiters. It just wasn't a great fit. Goran Dragic was arguably the team's best player, although you could have made a strong argument for Richardson as well because he's just a really good, solid contributor. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like to me from the outside looking in, it, we were just waiting for that year when he would put it all together and you know become that guy. Uh, and it feels like he was traded a little bit before that happened. And part yeah. of that was because he got traded for Jimmy Butler. What was the thought? From Miami fans, when when Josh Richardson was traded for Jimmy Butler, was it like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, we got Jimmy Butler coming back, or we're, you know, I think Mavericks fans right now are like, man, we we're getting Josh Richardson, but we're sending out Seth Curry. It was kind of a sad thing. Is it is it similar to that? Uh, no, not quite. Because again, that that last season he was with Miami, 2018-19. Like the expectations for him were too much. Like he was supposed to be the guy to carry this team. And he just he often faltered in that role. He is much more of a complimentary player. And by that, I mean that's not a knock on him. Like, I mean, there's 400 guys in the league who are complimentary players to some degree. And so with Richardson, he's a guy who can play defense well, again, make plays on offense. He does a little bit of everything very well. He just doesn't do it great enough to warrant being the star of your team. And that's unfortunate because again, those expectations were placed on him during the 2018-19 season. So when he gets traded and you're getting a key you know, a, a clear superstar like Jimmy Butler, a top 15 player in the league, you're thinking to yourself, well, it's it's a worthy sacrifice. Like as much as I think fans loved him, uh, love Richardson here in Miami, they were also ha- not necessarily happy to see him go, but it, was, it wasn't it was a sacrifice that was deemed too great to acquire a player like Butler. So, I mean, I, I think, and I speak for a lot of Heat fans, that you would welcome a return of Richardson at some point. Like he just fits better mm-hmm. now on this team because you have that superstar like Butler. Before he was asked to be that star, and he just wasn't capable of doing it or 
before that, you had an older Dwayne Wade, and he was deferring to Dwayne Wade in a way he probably should not have. So uh, there was a lot going on during his tenure in Miami, but I think most off, more often than not, he thrived. He just was not able to bear those unrealistic expectations. Yeah, that's pretty wild that he was like <laughs> going to be this next guy. And then he gets traded to the Sixers where – I mean, with Al Horford and Tobias Harris and then obviously Embiid and Simmons, he was like the fifth option sometimes on offense. Right. Like, that's pretty wild that he went from that to that. Uh, all right, coming up, I want to talk more about Josh Richardson's offense, defense, and then, of course, we're going to get into James Johnson, talk about what Mavs can, fans can expect from him. So we'll talk about that with David Ramil coming up. All right, David. So we talked about Josh Richardson. He's He's better as a... You know, you said a complimentary player for sure. And I think that the Ma- Mavericks are definitely going to expect him to be that. But at the beginning of the season, Porzingis is going to miss some time. We're not really sure exactly how much time. But when Luca, you know, sits, I expect Josh Richardson to be able to carry some of that offensive load. Do you think I'm overestimating what he can bring? He has moments where he can do it. I just you don't want to rely on that too frequently because more often than not, again, he's just not going to be able to live up to those expectations. But uh, yes, he can on occasion, uh, especially against second units and things of that sort. Or if you have Luca out on the court, I think you'll also have moments where he'll draw so much attention and that will free up Richardson and be able to do things well. Like I, I, you know, in Philadelphia, it just you know with Ben Simmons not being such a quality shooter and Embiid missing time occasionally, like Richardson was being asked to do be the main focal point on offense especially from the perimeter and that was not his strong suit like he is a good shooter but you don't want you know multiple defenders coming at you and, and being able to throw you off your rhythm in dallas i think he'll have so much more space there and he'll be a good catch and shoot player uh if there's another primary ball handler especially a guy like luca i think that's where richardson thrives he can be a great secondary or even a tertiary ball handler but you wouldn't want him being on ball all the time yeah, and I don't think it's even even for the for the Mavs when Porzingis is out. I don't think he's gonna be like the you know we set the ball up in his hands at the top of the key, go do something, right? Like I don't right. think they're gonna make him do that. I think that they're gonna like ease him into it a little bit. They have all these guards, right? Like they have Trey Burke, they just resigned. They have Jalen Brunson. They have you know Tyrell Terry even coming in for the Mavs. I think that those guys are gonna be asked to do some of the ball handling, but he'll be asked to be sort of a you know a scorer and sort of make up for some of that scoring that Porzingis is. You know, they're going to miss when Porzingis is out. So I think he's set up really well for that kind of role. I'm, I'm excited for him to surprise some Mavs fans that don't expect a whole lot from him. Um, were you I, ever I will say? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, I think Mavs fans will love him again. If, if there was anything that Heat fans could gravitate towards, Richardson was such a great humble guy so fun to talk to in the locker room he's got a little bit of a quirky personality but he's so soft-spoken <laughs> he's funny he's smart and he just continues to do that work and 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 i think that was part of what made his journey such an interesting one and such a great one for for fans to watch because he just he was able to exceed expectations so clearly and then while he did exceed those expectations and those real unrealistic you know goals for him were set and he just wasn't able to live up to him so that kind of tainted things a little bit but overall He's just going to be so fun to watch. You're going to see him out there. There, there are moments, and I wrote about this too, that he just he's filled with self doubt because he pushes himself so much harder than everybody else in the room. And that's something considering where again you're in Miami and you know Eric Spolstra is as driven as he is. You probably get a lot of that with Rick Carlisle as well. But nobody pushes himself harder than than Richardson. And sometimes he just it's so funny to see him kind of react on the court where he's just beating himself up over a missed shot or a bad play, and he'll just kind of continue to work his way through it somehow. He is a lot of fun. To to watch and i think again if he thrives there you're gonna love him you're gonna want him to be a maverick for life oh i'm so excited that that's the kind of account- accountability you want in a team that wants to take a next step right yeah. miami seemed to be 
like there. And now the Mavericks are definitely wanting to take some kind of next step. As a as a shooter, did you were you ever worried about his jump shot, or is he just solid enough that it was never really like a thought? Because I know some sometimes shooters are like, man, I I know he's a decent shooter, but I'm kind of worried about you know, like I worry about him being out there and being considered you know a floor spacer. Uh, you know, a little bit of both, honestly. I I, I did worry, but I it was probably just you know because he wasn't lighting it up on a regular basis. He's just not a guy who you you know going to rely on for 25 points per game. That's just not his his you know his purview. He can really chip in more around the 15 to 18 mark. Uh you know, he'll go 3 of 5 on some nights. He'll also go 0 for 3 or for 4 on occasion. So it balances out. Uh that first season, I guess was kind of fool's gold because he had just worked so hard and, and really emphasized his shooting more than anything else and he wound up shooting well over 40%. And so the expectations again were like, well, this is going to uh, be a guy who can shoot 38 to 39% on the regular and it just didn't happen that way. And so uh, you know, he's also admitted that sometimes when he focuses more on his offense and his defense kind of suffers a little bit, especially during that one season when he's expected to be the the you know the focal point of the team's offense. And and so that kind of backfired a little bit because his his defense is so good and he's so like relentless as an attacker. And, and so uh, you know, you ha- he has to find a way to balance both. But again, with a guy like Luca, I think he's gonna take so much of the role of being a, a primary shot creator that you know, Richardson's going to find a way to thrive because that's just where he he fits best as a guy who's a complimentary player. And again, that's why I think he would be so good in Miami too. Like seeing the <laughs> trade happen, I was like, damn, that's great for him. But it's also, damn, that's great for him, you know, because I didn't want him to go to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, but either way, he's, he's going he's gonna to be a lot of fun to watch. You guys are in for a treat. Yeah, he's also never played with a player like Luca, right? I mean, I, no. probably Ben Simmons is the closest to that, and that's nowhere close. No, you know, like no. that's nowhere close. But yeah. yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how he compliments a guy like that because he should fit in perfect into that role. And I think the Mavs got an upgrade from Seth Curry to him. The shooting obviously is going to take a little bit of a step down, but the defense, you know, all you know, all kinds of other stuff, I think will be, you know, a huge, it'll balance a big upgrade. Yeah, defensively though, I want I want to talk about him. Uh, is he legit defensively? Because I think we're, we're counting him as like this real plus defender. He's not all in like all defense type player, but where would you, you know, rank him sort of in that, you know, range? He is, I'd say, a, probably an elite defender. Not quite Kawhi level as far as a perimeter defender because he lacks that incredible strength. But he just makes up for it by a tenacity, a quickness on occasion. And he'll he'll find a way to get that sneaky block because even if he mm. gets burnt at the initial point of attack, he's long enough where he can kind of just stick around and he's athletic enough to, to impede your shot and probably even get a block in there. So that's good. He's not great at necessarily at intercepting passes. He's more of a guy who's just going to put his, his hands down and try to impede your way to the rim the run stopper um, yeah. yeah exactly so uh, you know he's he's not going to force turnovers but he's great at the initial point of attack and that's where i think he, he really fit best in miami and also in philadelphia there were moments there too and, and it helped certainly to have an all nba defender like simmons and, and Embiid there so that he could just kind of focus on being the the, the primary ball stopper and so uh, you know I, I think he's going to be really really nice there I, is is porzingis at this point in his career is still considered an elite rim protector uh, yeah, I don't know if he, I don't know if elite rim protector from what we saw at least, but he's, a, he's at least a good rim protector. You're at least not worried about him back there, right? 
So uh, yeah, he gets that's in, similar he, to what he had yeah. with Whiteside in Miami then, because it's a guy who can clean up a lot of mess. No, seriously, Whiteside during those years was a guy who could clean up a lot of your messes. And I mean, look, he was he was chasing those block stats regardless. Yeah. So I, I, that really helps for a guy like Richardson who gambles on occasion or can get you know he sometimes he can make a mistake and and, and misjudge where a player is going and, and then he'll have to find a way to recover. But it certainly helps to have somebody who can clean up some of that. It uh, never fails that someone will bring up Hassan Whiteside. Like, oh, should the Mavs sign Hassan Whiteside? No, I'm like, <laughs> stay away from him. Oh, he's too late. Now he's with Sacramento. Anyway, I know, it's still, good. Yeah. He's yeah. back home. He went back home where he belongs. <laughs> I, I, no, no way you could possibly get Miami fans to ever want him back here. Like, not only did he burn every bridge on his way out, but it just like Gosh. the last couple of seasons when he was getting paid $25 million a year were so distasteful like it was just really really difficult oh. to watch him play yeah the Mavs almost paid him that money too they, they yeah. had meetings with him and that oh, free man. agency I remember because there was a Mark Stein report the Mavs almost got Conley and Hassan Whiteside at their maxes like oh, oh. man that would have been such a different team like you would have been just good enough so you wouldn't have been able to draft Luca it's amazing how things would have turned I out know. differently it's wild um with Josh Richardson, there's been a lot of talk about him guarding, you know, point guards. That seems to be the thing that he does a lot of the time. Uh, how is he guarding guards as opposed to wings? I know, you know, he's a little bit smaller. You, you talked about his weight, uh, but what, how would you compare those two positions with him guarding? He, I think pretty fairly well. I think he's one through feet three. You can definitely count on him. Smaller guards, he can. He's quick enough to stay with him. Even some of the bigger guards, he'll match up. He can even slide up to the four on occasion, but I wouldn't want him there too frequently. It depends so, who it is, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's versatile enough and, and strong enough where he can hold his own. Like, you're, again, you're going to get effort from him regardless. It's not, it might not always pay off, but you're, he's going to try his hardest to be able to stop everybody in front of him. And, and so I think he's, he's equally suited to guards, quicker guards and, and bigger wings too. So you're going to, you're going to like that. And you guys know that this is, he's, he's a, a heat. Like media person, so he's not going to lie to us, right? You know, he's not going to try to build them up just so the Mavs fans are disappointed. This is from a, <laughs> this is from an unbiased perspective. Yeah, somewhat. <laughs> uh, so you'd say he's a point of attack defender, like a primary. He can guard the point of attack, and the map Mavs yes. will be okay with him doing that. And then I think they'll probably start Dorian Finney-Smith with him too, that he can defend some of those bigger wings. He's a little bit bigger than um, than Josh Richardson. I feel like that's the start of a, of a decent defense there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you're again, enough switchability, enough quickness there. And if you know, if you have a, a strong point of attack defender, I think that allows everybody else to kind of break up those passes. Once when, when Richardson is able to lock down that primary ball handler, I think they're gonna see a lot more passes being intercepted by some of that all those other quality defenders on the team there. So I would expect Finney Smith's numbers to jump up a little bit, especially if you get a guy like Richardson playing and committing to to defense at a high level, which likely will happen again considering he doesn't have to take up so much of the offensive load you're making me so excited about this i'm so excited to, to see him actually play which is happening i mean in less than a month it's so wild it is yeah <laughs> tell, tell me about it i was covering games in, in early october so yeah it's <laughs> that's wild uh all right coming up let's get into some james johnson i think i have one more question about josh richardson i want to talk about but then we'll get into james johnson what he's going to bring to the dallas mavericks coming up all right, David, let's talk about um, – let's one more question about Josh Richardson. So you mentioned this a little bit, but did you watch him in Philly, and how did his game change? Because I think people have said, like, oh, we're not getting such a good guy because, you know, he wasn't that great in Philadelphia. He was missing something. It just didn't seem like he was the same player. Like, did you see him enough to know what the difference was between how he was playing in Miami and how he played in, in Philadelphia? 
Probably not enough, really. Like, I mean, honestly, I think you know this uh, as well as anybody. Like, covering a team, you see those nuances much more closely. And oh, so, sure. on the occasional game that I saw, it just seemed like he was being miscast. And so, it was somewhat similarly to what was happening in Miami, too, where they were expecting him to be the primary ball handler. And that's not the strength of his game at this level. Like, maybe he could get away with it in Oklahoma or even in Tennessee for his first couple seasons there. But as a pro, He's not going to be your. He's not best suited for that role as a primary ball handler, and so that, I think there were stretches there when Simmons wasn't handling the ball as much, and they were counting on Richardson to do it, or when Simmons would go to the bench. Uh, either way, just not his strong suit, and and I don't think that's the case here. Again, like you said, so many ball handlers in Dallas already. You're not going to count on him. He can he bring the ball up? Can he initiate offense? Absolutely. You just don't want him doing it too much, where he winds up forcing passes or making turnovers and things of that sort. And I think that's that's where the danger comes in. Is that if you have him do it enough, you're going to see more and more uh, mistakes being made. And so I think that's what you're kind of seeing from Philadelphia, too. Like, there were bad moments there, especially in, during the playoffs. He just did not look consistently good. And, you know, they were trying to change the lineups around. Maybe the coaching wasn't communicating as well. All these things that you don't expect from a Mavs team, given everything that they have there on that roster and from that coaching staff, you know there's going to be an open and frank discussion about where your role is. And so I think, again, that I, he's just going to be able to find a way to thrive there. How does he, you know, he averaged like over four assists a game the last year he was with Miami. How does he average so many assists if he's not, you know, like the, you well, know, the, he, the he was expected to be the primary ball handler that last year. That's the whole thing is that, that's, you know, Dwayne was older. Goran Dragic is not your typical point guard in that sense where he kind of, he's looking more for his shot more than anything else. He can set up other guys and he's kind of evolved somewhat, but that's never been his strong suit with Richardson. He was just handling the ball so much more. I think his usage rate was the highest of his career. And, and so again, he, he was going to make a lot of assists. Again, if you have forced it into a guy like Whiteside who's looking for a shot as much as he was, then you know those assist numbers are going to go up too. So, I mean, that's I wouldn't take it all too seriously. Interesting. Uh, all right, let's move on to James Johnson. Um, so, James Johnson was recently you know, with the, the Heat, and then he was traded or went off to the, the Timberwolves and played you know, like 14 games there or something like that. Mm-hmm. From the last time you saw James Johnson play in Miami, is he washed? Like, Can he still contribute to a team that, like the Mavericks? Absolutely. Like I, you, you probably get the the worst or the best person depending on your perspective because I love James. Like to me, James Johnson is always going to be a LeBron light, like very, very, very light. I can totally get that. But his combination of versatility on both the offensive and defensive end and his size makes him such an intriguing prospect. And unfortunately, he just was never able to tap into that early in his career, you know, going to Sacramento, Memphis, Toronto, and then he comes to Miami during that one 2016-17 season when they were rebuilding and looking for an identity. And he winds up just really embracing the culture. Like he lost 40 pounds from his <laughs> Toronto days to come into Miami and be in the best shape of his career, his life. And he's spoken about that a number of times. And and then, you know, he, he was made a captain because he, he so embraced the culture. Like they really thought that he was going to be if not a centerpiece for the team, at least a guy who could be a, a torchbearer as far as that culture and everything and holding everybody on this roster accountable. And things just kind of fell apart towards the end there. But as far as his skill set is concerned, he's absolutely fitted to, to contribute in both offensively and defensively. Like like the James Johnson experience is a roller coaster. You will if he's in shape and engaged. You're going to love him. He's going to shoot from the outside. He's going to defend one through five pretty well. He's going to force turnovers. He's going to make great passes. If it's a bad day, he's going to whip passes out of bounds. He's going to go over five. Uh, you know, it, it, it could be very, very ugly very quickly. But again, if he's 
if he's focused on doing everything he needs to in order to prove that he's he's still a, a player in this league, you're going to get the very best version of him. And if that's the case, and then he's going to fit a absolute need there. Yeah, we were excited about him. That was one of the targets that we were really interested in because it didn't seem like Minnesota, if, unless they were able to pull off some huge trade, you know, right. using his salary, it didn't seem like they were going to use him. And so we were talking about him as an enforcer, and now he's being called, you know, the bodyguard, like Lucas bodyguard is what <laughs> Mavs fans are calling him. Um, and so that's pretty that's pretty interesting. Obviously, there's all the stories about you know his like martial arts careers, but. Um, right. But yeah, as as a player, I found that that very interesting. He's a uh, lot of fun in the locker room. He's not, I mean, he's not the tough guy that it, or the reputation seems to make him. At least not in the locker room. Uh, on the court, obviously, you don't want to mess with him, and I think that's well earned. But uh, off the court, he's a lot of fun to talk to. He's he's open. He's gregarious. Even when he had a really bad start to this season, when again he fell short of the expectations of the coaching staff, which is how he got into Eric Spolster's doghouse. But he was eventually able to work his way out, trade, and stay. You know, he stayed positive throughout everything. And uh, it just it kind of showed like I was sorry to see him go, to be honest with you. So what happened at the end there with James Johnson in Miami? How did he fall out of that? Was it just the weight? Because I, you know, I've heard all about that where they put the, you know, the weights up publicly and talk about that. Um, But what happened with him in Miami? I think it was a little bit of like also he's he's very good friends with Dion on the team and Dion really fell out of favor with the coaching staff uh, and Billy so, by association <laughs> somewhat somewhat like kind of like you know maybe uh, they were kind of helping each other out like I, I look I'll, I'll go so far as to say this without confirming anything that James Johnson does like to uh, he does like to party off the court how about that uh, so you you know he is going to occasionally. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily get in the best graces or the good graces of the coaching staff. And I think his weight gained a little bit. Uh, he didn't come into shape at a hundred percent, you know, heat related shape. Uh, so there was these expectations of him being a captain that he didn't live up to. And it was somewhat disappointed because he is getting paid a lot of money. Now that I think was a lot tied to the fact that he had hernia surgery the year before, uh, but it was also, a no, a zero tolerance policy from Eric Spolster and the coaching staff this year, because, they they always regretted not being able to maximize the peak seasons of Dwayne Wade's career when he was probably at the best as an individual player from 2008 to 2010 when they were kind of just retooling around Wade, waiting for the big three era to start up. And they were never able to you know go deep into the playoffs during those two years when Wade was arguably an MVP candidate. And, and so they've always kind of regretted that. And, and then towards the end of now that they've signed Jimmy, they want to make sure that they make the most of this four years while he's under contract here. And then Johnson comes into w- camp a little overweight. Uh, Dion comes in perhaps slightly overweight. And again, guilty by association. They just fell into a doghouse. They said, you know what? We've got other young players that are hungry and willing to prove themselves. They're going to get the opportunities. You start Tyler Hero or you give him a lot of minutes instead of Dion Waiters. Well, you know, Duncan Robinson starts playing. I thought James Johnson was going to be the starter going into the training camp. I really thought we would see a starting lineup of Dion, uh, Goran Dragic, Dunk, not Duncan Robinson because I mean, he was a G League player the year yeah, before. Right. <laughs> Zero expectations from him, but Johnson was going to start the four alongside Jimmy and, and, and Bam Adebayo or Hassan Whiteside before the trade happens. And so, you know, there was so much going on there. And I, th- I thought to myself, that was the starting lineup. And then James just winds up falling out of the favor of the front of the coaching staff and just never really able to get back into it in December. And then we start to hear that he's doing all the work, that he's doing everything he needs to do, being a great teammate. You know, kind of staying away from Dion to uh, some degree, and, and just he winds up getting playing time, and he's a real factor. Like he again, he's a guy who makes plays offensively. He makes passes. He can shoot from the perimeter. He's a great ball handler at his size, and as a defender, 
probably one of the few guys that can match a LeBron or an Adetokounmpo one-on-one because he's strong enough, he's quick enough that he can really body them up. You know, those guys can't be shut down by any one person, but I like Johnson's chances as much as anybody. So he is a great fit. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, is what defensively, I guess you just kind of, you talked about that, what he's capable of. Um, but his three point shot, it seems like it, you know, slightly below average, but dependable to me. That's what it seems like. Just looking at the numbers and, and watching him. Was that your take when he was in Miami? Yeah. Yeah. You had the good days and the bad ones, but you know, you you're not, you're not uncomfortable or angry with him taking the three point shot because he is capable of making it. You just hope it's one of those good days where it's going to fall. And then he can hit a couple more after that. I won't go so far as to label him streaky, but he, you can definitely get a, a sense when there's an extra pep in his step and he's willing to kind of take that shot, let it fly a little early on and he starts knocking him down. He kind of feels his rhythm a little bit and then, you know, it's going to be a good night. Oh, I also wanted to mention earlier, I, I appreciate that you mentioned that Wade's like peak career stopped at 2010. I appreciate that you mentioned that because ah. it did not continue into 2011. <laughs> he was the best player in the finals. I don't know what you guys are talking wow, about. Wow. Wow. The takes. <laughs> oh man, if I put that on a graphic or a clip and put it on social media, you'd be you'd be done. <laughs> From I mean, I mean, Dirk was okay, I guess, but you, 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 you don't win that. Uh, you don't win that series without Brian Cardinal, <laughs> the custodian for sure. David Ramil, I appreciate you. I'll put your Twitter in the description of this podcast. You guys can go follow David Ramil if you're interested in the Miami Heat. He does great work over there. And uh, guys, we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Maps. Peace out. Boom. Oh, man! Absolutely monstrous jam! Yeah! Wow, that was ridiculous. You have got to be kidding me.